Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Haley, welcome back. Hi, thank you. Uh, so we are we are excited to be talking about a show that is uh, taking the country, maybe the world, by storm in its kindness and sincerity, and that is the one and only Ted Lasso. Yeah, and so cute. we're gonna be focusing on season one of Ted Lasso. Season two just uh started back up on apple tv um and we might be addressing that as well in the near future yeah it's such a sweet show i adore it and it's very clear why it won so many awards and why so many people like it it's just too cute super cute and i think uh we have to start on the sort of positive positive thinking positive note that ted lasso carries throughout the series um and and Haley, i want to ask you you know much like ted lasso has asked do you believe in ghosts or curses or superstitions yeah so ted, L- ted lasso is asked if he believes in ghosts because they're dealing with a a curse in the trainer's room and ted says i do but more importantly i believe they need to believe in themselves and that's my ted lasso uh impression <laughs> impression i that quote I think is kind of how I feel about it. So the like, Mm. I think they need to believe in themselves. And what I mean by that is I don't, I'm definitely kind of witchy and spirity. Like Mm. I, I believe in vibes and like past lives and connection with humans and et cetera, et cetera. But in a way where I don't think there's like one truth and like if somebody was like here's my truth and the experience that I've had where I saw a ghost or had a connection with this or um things like that I'd be like yeah I believe that you believe it like um and not in a condescending way but truly like in that area of the world to me it feels like if they believe in it it makes it real like it's all all of that's about feelings and gut and all Mm. that stuff so it's kind of where I stand on that Sort of like the the power of um, not the power of positivity. What's the um, the secret? Like if you believe mm. in something and put it out into the universe, it will be validated in some way. Uh, yeah, not quite like that. <laughs> no, not quite that. So, okay, all right. The, all right. Re- yeah, the reason why I don't like totally believe in that is because you just thinking like I'm going to make a million dollars is not going to make a million dollars, right? But like believing That's it true. and then taking the steps towards it might make it feel like it has manifested itself, but really it's your actions that have done it. Um, When it comes to more like vibes and connection and spirituality and ghosts and curses, I think that that's kind of like a different, it's a different realm of stuff, right? So belief is what matters in that moment, but like thinking that you're going to make a million dollars isn't going to make you a million (laughs) dollars. All right. Well, I would say the closest I get in this sort of realm is I have very visceral experiences of deja vu sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's like the closest I get to this sort of vibe where there's like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know why, but I know that I've experienced or dreamed or felt uh-huh. or been in this place before. And it's super weird, but I get it, you know, I would say a couple times a year and I, I yeah. try not to overthink it because I think if I did, I'd wrap myself in knots somehow. Totally. Have you ever had an experience where like you're in a place that you've never been before, but you're like either have like flashes or like feelings like I've been here before, not me necessarily, but like a past me. Like, do you ever have that kind of feeling? No, I can't say it ever feels like a past me. My my deja vu thing always feels like this sort of sensation of either I've dreamed this exact sequence of events mm-hmm. or I have experienced this exact sequence of events, you know, either in that place or in a different place. Yeah. And it just it's just like a weird, cringy, creepy, something's off, there's a glitch in the matrix kind of feeling. Oh, interesting. And then have you ever yeah. had, this is one of my favorites, is if you're like, walking somewhere and you pass somebody and you and that person kind of like make eye contact and like smile at each other and like then keep moving on and there's no interaction and no like you know meaningful in terms of content anything but you're like that person and I had a connection like that person's soul and my soul Mm. know each other have you ever had that kind of feeling oh well I think (laughs) I mean I try to be very um acknowledging and validating to all people I walk across the street from or pass by and yeah but this is different than that hiking yeah no I know I know and I guess like if I have I would never explain it that way and I think that's a lot of you know what we're going to talk about with Ted Lasso is sort of like his um I don't know if he would describe it as like a life philosophy but the way he sort of explains things that happen to him or happen to other people feels like it comes from some like core philosophy about life. And I think mine mm-hmm. is just, is just different. I wouldn't necessarily say like, Oh, we had our, our souls, you know, recognized our, it's each other, but mm-hmm. it's more just like, like, Oh, there's, there's a, a person with a similar personality to me that would also give a genuine smile to a stranger. So this um, isn't, that's not the same thing. So I think this is where my okay. like, if they need to believe in themselves, right? Because I smile at nearly everybody I pass and it's genuine and it's kind, Mm -hmm. but there's sometimes where like you and the person, like the way that you see each other is more than just like a, Oh, hello stranger. Um, It's like a, Mm. there's no way for me to describe it other than like, it's like our souls (laughs) know each other. Like, like we, there's a, a human connection in a way that's not just like I'm kind and polite to you and you're kind and polite to me and we're both smiling. Um, but that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about is like for you, you're like, what? No, that's weird. And for me, I'm like, Oh, that's absolutely a thing that happens. And I know other friends who are kind of on that like vibey witchy thing are like, Oh yeah, that happens to me all the time. And I think again, it's, they need to believe in themselves, right? If you believe it when you get, a little tingling like that, or you get a vibe like that, it becomes meaningful as opposed to you. You probably just like smile at them and then you're like, Oh, they're kind. And you keep walking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good description of how I handle those interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's sort of like, I don't know. I don't want to minimize it uh, as less than witchy, but sort of like the believe in yourself thing. It's like a, a confirmation bias. I want 
there to be meaning in these connections. I want there to be uh, value in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my experiences. It's like opening up a, a small box of, of shortbread and you're not quite sure how this was so good. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a connection to that shortbread. Therein lies the the differences in our experiences and how mm-hmm. we tell the the stories about them. But yeah, um, but that's kind of cool. Maybe we'll we'll keep exploring this stuff um, as we go into the first season of Ted Lasso. But first, a quick break from our sponsors. Everyone's talking about mental health these days. But what about severe mental illness? It's more common than you might think. Did you know that one in 100 people lives with schizophrenia? That's why the BC Schizophrenia Society has launched a brand new podcast called Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. Host Phaedra Aldridge talks to doctors, families, and people with lived experience about how to recognize mental illness and the specific treatments that can help. Check it out. They'll really challenge you to look again at what you think you know about mental illness. You can find them on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Ted Lasso is an American comedy streaming television series on Apple TV, developed by Bill Lawrence, Jason Sudeikis, Joe Kelly, and Brendan Hunt, based on a character of the same name, developed by Jason Sudeikis, for a series of promos um, about uh, the Premier League on NBC Sports uh, a few years ago. Um, It first premiered on Apple TV in August of 2020, and the second season just premiered on July 23rd of this year. So it is a show that has gotten a great response from people. Frankly, it's the first show that I can think of that I specifically sought out Apple TV for. So if you don't already have Apple TV, you know, this show is worth the investment because it's just, I think, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's too much to say, it's sort of exactly the kind of show we need right now. Is that too Mm -hmm. far, Haley? No, I agree. But for today, we're focusing on this character created by Jason Sudeikis, um, along with a wonderful uh, cast of, you know, all sorts of great characters. So, you know, this, for me, I think I, I think you, Haley, had actually suggested that we cover Ted Lasso. Um, yeah, I had heard such good things about it. Because I hadn't watched it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I jumped into it, and I think my initial impression was just like, oh, like, what what's going to be, you know, mental health about this? Like, this guy is just sort of like a goofy Midwestern guy. How deep could this possibly get? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, you know, and part of it's just sort of like the ups and downs of of athletics, but also is this this is a real human guy that they do have some very real experiences with. So mm-hmm. I was excited as the season went on, the depth that we got to see of this person who initially you just sort of saw as this, you know, 
character who had a lot of really funny quotes, like about ghosts believing in themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of like really cutesy moments, but I think it's, there's so many storylines that are just really human in a way that like it can't not be about mental health because you can't be human and not have mental health experiences. And I think it's just such a real story on so many levels for every character. Absolutely. Yeah. They really allow the different members of the team to kind of, you know, have some real character arcs. And and you and mm -hmm. I have talked about the sort of how TV shows in many cases can kind of better represent sort of mental health experiences. I definitely think Ted Lasso was a great example of that, specifically when it comes to uh, men's mental health. We see sort mm -hmm. of a variety of, you know, men's mental health issues, whether it's the sort of star of the team, Jamie Tart, who he, you know, he's got some, uh, let's say, narcissistic qualities to mm -hmm. him. Um, but we kind of find out over time that a lot of that's rooted in, you know, some pretty negative experiences that he had growing up with his father. Yeah. And then, you know, we see some some other players with some really deep issues, too. So mm -hmm. so I wonder for you, Haley, you know, what was your initial impression of Coach Ted Lasso? Because for me, I, I, as I said, I kind of had this very skeptical <laughs> yeah. um, initial experience, which I think a lot of players of his players did as well. Yeah, um, that's so funny. I feel like I was kind of like, we should do this. And every time you're kind of like, I mean, yeah, and kind of like put, kept on putting it off. So maybe that was because you were like, how how could this really be? Yeah, I adored him right from the get go. And I think because I really appreciate someone who's like, hey, this is a bad moment. I'm going to find something good in it. I think that can be, you know, pushed a little bit too far at some points, which definitely happens with um, Ted. But his ability to be like, hey, we're in this and we're going to make it good. And and also to kind of call people out on their BS within the same tone, I think I really respect, you know, like. I think a good example is when they're doing the um, interview and um, the guy goes off basically like, you know, nothing about football. You um, have no experience. You've never been in the pros. And he just big smile on his face goes, is there a question in there? I don't know. That's what I like about him. Yeah. It's this weird confidence. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that people, people respond to him in, in such different ways on the show, you know, people who are just sort of like immediately taken by him. You know, I, I think of Higgins, who is this, you know, second um, sort of second in command of mm -hmm. AFC Richmond, um, second behind Rebecca, the team's owner who inherited the team from her ex-husband. And she's trying to bury the team. Right. Mm -hmm. So she from her perspective, hires this guy who is, you know, out of his depth and is, is going to mm -hmm. help her just sort of send the the team into ruin. Mm -hmm. But Higgins is just kind of like, oh, what a what a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Um even when his, you know, his boss is trying to <laughs> like uh, ruin him. Like yeah. literally the first couple of episodes we have her trying to sabotage him at every turn. Yeah. Every person who sort of interacts with him, whether it's, you know, the guy from the Sun, the tabloid newspaper or mm -hmm. or Higgins or several of the players they just sort of immediately fall in love with him, which Rebecca mm -hmm. sort of points out frustratingly. Yeah. Well, and also I think there's a line in there somewhere where 
Coach Beard and Ted are talking and Ted said something about like, imagine how mad Roy's going to be when we win him over. And I think that's truly the thing is that he is so consistently kind that you, you ultimately like have to love him. And I think what I like really think is is cool and interesting about it is the comparison between Rebecca and Ted. Because Rebecca takes the stance that we tend, as as Western culture, tend to associate with leadership, which is hard and feelingless and not vulnerable and tough and kind of mean. And that's kind of how we're like, oh, she's confident and she's, you know, doing the things. And when we get a personality like Ted in our culture, we often think, oh, this person's going to be a pushover. This person doesn't know who they are, what they stand for. This person isn't confident. And like you said, Ted comes with this beautiful amount of confidence that's like, no, this is who I am and this is meaningful and this is going to work and I'm going to win them over and I'm going to do a good job. And I think that that's a really nice image for us to see, you know, being a leader, being confident doesn't have to only look one way. Totally. And and I think you you nailed it. It's, you know, that first scene where he and Coach Beard are standing on the sidelines and the whole stadium is chanting wanker. And they both kind of just look at each other and it's like, we have 90 minutes to win him over. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you think about, I mean, certainly speaking for myself, standing in a stadium where it feels like every person looking at you despises you mm-hmm. is is my own personal nightmare. <laughs> so there's a certain confidence and and definitely like resilience that this person has and Uh, that I think people do feed off of that in a very positive way yeah well and I think what it also comes down to is confidence in your zone right so so Ted is confident as a coach so if they're calling him names or telling him he's a bad coach he goes okay cool in the same way that when and if a teenager ever tells you that they hate you or calls you a name, you'd be like, okay, <laughs> you know, it would just kind of roll off your back because it won't be the first time you've mm. heard it. And I was talking to a mother the other day who said to me, like, I don't know how you put up with it. Like if any teenager ever spoke <laughs> to me that way, she's like, I would be hard. I would like, it would hurt my feelings. And for me, you know, in my zone, I'm confident as a therapist of a teenager who doesn't want to be there. To me, it's just like, yeah, them calling me the B word has nothing to do with me. And I think right. in the same way, Ted is like, they don't know me. Like, they don't know what I can do. So them chanting this or them being angry with me has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with who knows what it might be, right? Their fear that they're going to get relegated or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think, so you make a great point and that Ted Lasso is confident in what he is good at Mm -hmm. and what he is good at is not, you know, drawing up plays to win a football match. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, you know, I think he says something to the effect of just sort of helping these men be the best versions of themselves or helping them mm-hmm. grow or, you know, he genuinely does care about them. He genuinely does uh, love them and, and wants them to be good people, not just mm-hmm. good football players. Yeah. And I think he recognizes that and that's what helps him, I think, take advantage of the skills of the other people around him, whether that's yes. Coach Beard or eventually Coach Nate, who was uh-huh. once this, the the sort of kit, kit runner person who's mm-hmm. just doing laundry and stuff. And then he, 
comes on as an assistant coach because he has information and knowledge that Mm -hmm. coach lasso does not yeah and that takes a lot of humility yeah absolutely right the the confidence and humility to say you have strengths that i don't have and the ability to play to people's strengths so there are moments with roy where ted goes no i'm not going to do it for you if you want it done you're going to have to do it because ted knows that he doesn't have the place or the rapport to go and tell teammates to stop picking on another teammate but if roy says it he does have the the position right the strength and position to do Mm -hmm. it or he doesn't know much about soccer so drawing up a play isn't really going to make sense but nate does know soccer and he's watched this team and he knows who plays and how they play and all those things and ted realizes like these guys know how to play soccer i just want to teach them how to work together well yeah so we see everyone sort of following in love with ted and at the same time we sort of learn that ted's wife is is either presently or has already in some ways fallen out of love with him yeah and this is you know at least from my perspective sort of very abruptly introduced um it's sort of hinted at at times that ted lasso took this job because his wife wanted space mm-hmm. um and we don't really hear much more about it then halfway through the season his wife and son uh visit and then you know ted finds his wife in tears mm-hmm. and you know we sort of find out some of the reality of what's actually been going on in this relationship so as I said, I, I, it felt kind of abrupt and and mm-hmm. it felt like this somewhat harsh dichotomy between how everyone else is reacting to Ted and then the reality of his relationship at home and and this person that you know even though he's uh, relentlessly optimistic that that's not necessarily working in his relationship. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how I would feel with somebody who's relentlessly optimistic. <laughs> it mm. after a while would drive me crazy. <laughs> I would be like, the world isn't always beautiful. And I think that is a moment where we start to see Ted as a whole person is when he has that panic attack. And it's clear that this positivity is almost like over positivity in order to try to control sadness. And if I just put this happy face on all the time, everything will be happy and good and positive and great. Meanwhile, no, sometimes that pushes people away or sometimes things go badly anyway. And by not address, you know, by not being uh, realistic, I suppose at times and not sometimes being like, you know, this isn't good. You don't have to be grumpy and sad and angry about it. However, like acknowledging not everything is good can sometimes be enough space to kind of like release that pressure that I don't think Ted ever releases, right? He gets the like the nervous energy, the like squeezing his fingers, those kind of Mm -hmm. things. And then obviously, ultimately, uh, the panic attack. Yeah, and it's a very intense sort of moment for the show where we see this person who's been so put together, so positive. Mm -hmm. Um, He has the panic attack. And there's also the moment where I want to say one of the nights in the hotel, he sort of mm-hmm. snaps at Nate when Nate's just kind of coming over to talk over um, like ideas for, you know, the team. Mm-hmm. And we see these more vulnerable moments with Ted. And I think you're right. I think, you know, whether we think of it as like he's sort of compensating for sadness or just trying to cover up sadness, mm-hmm. this is sort of a like in some ways a, a classic 
uh, sort of opposite emotion action yeah. um, that we might see, you know, and in some ways specifically in men where it's just like I can laugh through the pain or I can mm -hmm. put on the smile even though I'm feeling angry or sad. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also just a very human thing, right, where um, it's easier to kind of fall back on like, this is my personality. This is who I am. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. um, until you know, too many sort of spinning plates hit the ground and there's there's sort of nothing left to hold those facade pieces together. Yeah, it's the, it's shaking up a, a Coke bottle and then something opens the lid and it explodes. Yep. Yeah. Um, there was a line there that I really liked in the in the show, though, was when Ted is having that panic attack, he says to Rebecca, I'm going crazy. And her response is, no more than anyone else. And mm. what I really liked about that line was, like I kind of said earlier, that was the really human moment. And I think we needed that moment because otherwise I think it would be hard to feel attached to Ted for a long period of time as if he stayed at that relentless positivity. Eventually we'd be like, okay, well, no one's ever like that. But when we see like, oh, this is what's covering or above or hiding this deep sadness, this deep anxiety. But in that moment of that deep sadness, that deep anxiety, and he's like, oh, this is a problem. She goes, no, this is human. We, this is how we yep. all feel. And I thought that that was a really, it was a throwaway line essentially, but to me it was a really meaningful line, like no more than anyone else. Yep. Just normalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is something that that Ted has a particular skill for, which is sort of taking, you know, some of the emotional extremes that his players are dealing with and just sort of kind of bringing it back to some of the more simple pleasures, whether that's giving them books or having birthday parties. Uh -huh. And I think some can look at that as sort of like, you know, almost unnecessary or soft, but it's clear from the, in many cases, the reactions of the players that it it offers a vulnerability through which they can connect, not just with him, but with themselves, with each other. And I think that's that's really cool for, you know, a show in many ways ostensibly about these sort of very uh, macho football players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like realizing that underneath all of it, we're all human, right? We all just we all yep. just want someone to say, hey, happy birthday. Here's a cake. Yeah, yeah. And I think this sort of idea of uh, people sort of putting on a show or putting on a facade is is also comes up in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we have Rebecca, the, the owner, who is sort of very, I don't know, hard on the surface. Like mm -hmm. she's obviously she's trying to undermine Ted, but even like in, in interpersonal interactions with him and the media, media, she's just sort of putting on this sort of very steely, mm -hmm. closed off um, front. And we learn more and more over the course of her experience over the first season that she's had some really difficult experiences coming out of her marriage and in many ways continues to have some difficult um, experiences with her ex who unfortunately sort of shows up a couple of times. Yeah. In her big moments, that's when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, I, he's mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, there is no real, and I think that's another reason why I kind of like the show. There's, there's not a, a villain. I mean, I guess her, her ex-husband is the closest thing, Yeah. but it's just sort of 
you know the if there's a a antagonist it's just sort of the you know the reality of ups and downs of life mm-hmm. and and of this case of competition yeah i think that is and i'll probably kind of come back to this theme the whole time but i think that is what's nice about this show is it's truly just a painting of human experience um so like you're right there's no villain however there are moments of villainous choices right so Mm. um her ex-husband jamie's dad at the very end you know i guess technically occasionally well if you're telling the story from the second in command um higgins like if you're telling the story from his point of view rebecca absolutely is the villain totally (laughs) yeah and so like i think there are these like villainous moments which i think is how life goes that's very in some people's lives, they obviously very clearly have a villain. I think for many people, it's kind of lots of little villainous moments that tend to make things interesting, add to our personal storylines. For sure. Yeah. And I think there are there are a really, you know, we could even go through some other quotes because I, I really liked, you know, and it's it's sort of some hokey stuff, but I think there are some real sort of lessons and things that we can take away, whether from our own experiences or for, you know, even for like therapy um, analogies here. Um, at one point, I don't remember exactly what the context is, but they're sort of, you know, as, as with any sports team, talking about some of the challenges they're facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ted says, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, uh-huh. you're probably doing it wrong. Uh-huh. And I think the same could be said of therapy. I, I'm, I'm sure you have. I've definitely worked with people who have acknowledged, you know, previous uh, therapy experiences where it's just like, yeah, I was working with that therapist for, you know, months and months and months, but I, I kept it pretty surface level or we didn't mm-hmm. really go, go anywhere. It was just sort of like, okay, so how was the past week? And, and yeah. that's the sort of most intense that it gets. Mm-hmm. And thus avoiding maybe some of the more like obvious discomfort that would come up if it went a little bit deeper. Yeah. I think I, that's funny when that um, quote came up, I was like, how do I feel about that quote? <laughs> I was like, mm, if it's okay. not like, if it's not comfortable, you're not doing it right. Um, and I think when you compare it to kind of the therapeutic process, I completely agree right? Like, I think we as as humans put way too much emphasis on being comfortable, and not enough on Mm -hmm. growth or not enough on value beyond comfort. And oftentimes, when we make choices solely based off of comfort, it kind of ultimately leads to discomfort in other ways, Um, missing out on experiences or things turning out wrong anyway. And so yeah, I think you're kind of right. Like if if you're not a little bit uncomfortable in therapy, check in with yourself about like what it does therapy mean to you, right? If you just need a place where every week it gets to be your turn to talk, which I think a lot of people do like that and need that. And if that's it, great, like do what you got to do. However, if for you it's a place of growth, um, check in with yourself, you know, are you a little bit uncomfortable? And is that because you are pushing yourself a little bit towards growth? Yeah, because I think especially for people coming into therapy for the first time, and and we could give some very sort of standard advice, like sort of, you know, ask what kind of 
you know, therapeutic approach your your therapist's practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, and ask, you, you should be able to ask your therapist sort of what can I expect from this experience? Because mm-hmm. if you have a sense of what you're looking for, you know, you want to have uh, some idea that the therapist is going to be aligned with you on that, much in the same way that, um, you know, Rebecca hires Ted, assuming <laughs> he's going to be aligned with just sort of completely tanking the season, mm-hmm. you know, not really expecting that his approach is actually what maybe helps the team get to a, a more successful level. Yeah, And I think we see examples of this in sports, you know, all the time where, you know, you go from the sort of steely disciplinarian coach to the sort of very player friendly comforting coach and that's Mm -hmm. it's not always like one over the other is better Mm -hmm. but I do think there's something to be said for change and sort of shaking things up because if it makes people uncomfortable if it takes them out of their uh sort of old patterns that that can create new results Mm -hmm. yeah and I think a lot of the patterns you kind of spoke to this earlier, but a lot of the patterns that these athletes have, these male athletes have is this idea of masculinity, right? It comes up a lot with Jamie directly. It's very clear with Roy um, and quite a lot of the other players as well. And Ted kind of breaks them out of those patterns a little bit by being more vulnerable, being more kind, being more quote unquote soft and again, doing it with that confidence of I'm no less of a man for having these intimate emotional connections with other men. And then with Roy particularly, he then gets the same thing from Keely on the other side. And he's kind of like, wait a minute, like everybody around me is just being really kind and not, it, they're not losing any strength by doing it and it kind of like blows his mind a little bit and then you know the moment with his niece where she's like all i care about is that you're my uncle yeah yeah that was a really powerful sort of storyline because that's a very sort of classic masculinity thing of like Mm -hmm. this is the only way i know myself or this is the only role i've seen myself in Mm -hmm. with roy kent and Mm -hmm for that to be reflected back to him in just a completely flipped way, mm-hmm. you know, we do see him start to soften and, 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 you know, willing to connect with Jamie, willing to connect uh, with the team, with coach Lasso. Yeah. Um, and then when, when crisis does hit for him, when he is no longer fit enough to be captain, I think he's in such a better place emotionally to be able to accept that transition Yeah, that would really see someone kind of come into their own and mm-hmm. still be able to, you know, serve the team and show up in their relationship despite losing that one way that they define themselves. Yeah. Willing to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one thing that coach Lasso is, is good at is making mm-hmm. some of these guys uncomfortable. Very. You know, <laughs> whether it's, uh, whether it's with karaoke mm-hmm. or, uh, a party after a loss, you know, mm-hmm. he really challenges their sense of sort of what's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giving them a little bit of psychological flexibility, if you will. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the only one who, he isn't a shock for is and i don't know his name but the the new player who's like football is life danny rojas yeah yeah danny rojas he and ted are 
totally the same vibe. And so Mm -hmm. to have that vibe now also on the field is another way to kind of shake up these patterns and kind of force growth for the players because yeah, when it's your coach, there's that separation. You're not on the field. Who's this guy? When you've got that plus now somebody on the field with you, it's kind of coming at you from every angle. You can no longer say like, oh, well, that vibe wouldn't work on the field. You have to be tougher. You have to be more aggressive. And Danny's like, no, you don't. You just have to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's some really, and there's some other good sort of moments that I think are are directly correlated for me with some some of the some of the ideas that you would think Ted Lasso would apply to mental health, even if it's not like overt. There's the moment where he sort of tricks the ex husband into you know playing darts with him uh-huh. um, to sort of stand up for Rebecca, and he tells this story. It's a good old hustle. Yeah, he hustles him. He tells a story um, based around the I think it's a Walt Whitman quote about sort of be curious, not judgmental, and the, uh-huh. the people that sort of bullied him when he was growing up. And I just loved that story. That was not a quote that I was familiar with, but it is very aligned with, you know, with at times what I work with uh, my patients on mm-hmm. in terms of be curious and judgmental but about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. I think especially for people who are struggling with things like anxiety, depression, the judgment is so often self-directed. Yeah. And what people need in those positions is the the curiosity, the ability to sort of play and explore and try things that they haven't tried before. And that is only comes from curiosity of being able to wonder what will happen if I do something new. Absolutely. And that freedom from judgment and replacing it with curiosity is so powerful. I know someone who decided, kind of started to learn that, that they were interacting with themselves in a pretty mean way and kind of their immediate thing was always like I'm at fault what I did was embarrassing people don't like me and then when they started kind of having feelings or thoughts they decided that instead of being like oh what what's going on with this they would just go huh hmm, interesting I'm feeling x y and z or I'm thinking x y and z and they kind of realized when they would just kind of look at it with curiosity rather than judgment, that feeling lost its power and the feeling lost it and the thoughts lost their aggression because now suddenly they were just a thing floating around rather than this like heavy item, like weighing them down. Yeah. And I just think there's just the idea of curiosity can really lead people in a different behavioral direction. Like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, picture yourself when you're curious. And a lot of times we probably unintentionally train ourselves out of this emotional state where, you know, how often do you just leave your house not knowing where you're going to go? Like Mm -hmm. if you go for a walk, Mm -hmm. how, you know, versus when you're a kid, almost everything is is derived from a sense of curiosity. Like, what yeah. happens if I go up to this other kid on the playground? What happens if I kick this ball as hard as I can? It's always sort of finding out the, the consequences or rewards of their actions. Yeah, absolutely. And to also kind of take it back to, to an even more direct, like, psychological scenario in, in terms of, like, hatred or, like, the isms, there mm-hmm. studies have shown if someone learns about that culture or learns about that person or learns about that 
experience their the the intensity of the isms within that person declines. So sure. if you jump in with judgment, so this human experience is goes against my religion or those people fill in the blank, that's jumping in with judgment. If someone takes the time to speak to their neighbor about what that life experience is like or listen to someone's story about what it's like being a person inside a certain skin. The first step is like, oh, well, this individual is different than the greater. However, they start to learn that like, oh, individual stories, individual curiosities lead to a greater understanding and a lessening of judgment. Yeah, and so it's right. So it's it's applicable. It's applicable for uh, individual, almost like internal experiences, but also certainly for interpersonal experiences yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about the uh, the couples that we see in the show, right, between Ted Lasso and his wife, mm-hmm. where you just get the sense that his wife is is no longer curious about what this relationship can be. She's Mm -hmm. sort of gotten to the point where not just that she needs space, but that she's sort of, I don't know, would we say maybe disillusioned, just sort of in some ways, I hate to say given up because that feels like a a different kind of statement. But, you know, she's sort of made the decision that this is no longer working for her. And for Ted to, to, in in some ways, let go of his curiosity and not sort of fight her for that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that there's there's this sort of relationship between his sort of endless curiosity and optimism and then what becomes in that moment acceptance, which is a really different approach for Ted, as we see later in the season where he doesn't want to accept a tie. You know, he wants mm-hmm. he wants even to go for a win and, and all these sorts of things that we see Ted having to sort of constantly wrestle with his own sort of like categorization mm-hmm. of how he interacts with people. Yeah. I had a thought now. So the final episode is something about hope. It's the hope that kills you. The hope that kills you. So the general theme is that um, as soon as there's hope, there's the possibility for disappointment, right? Yes. Something I hear in sessions all the time. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, right? As soon as you... Every every feeling is one side of a coin, right? So as soon as you value something, mm-hmm. not having that thing is the other side of that coin. And everything's a flip of the coin. And within this curiosity versus judgment conversation, this idea of hope, I think, is very similar. Where Because judgment shuts something down, right? Because a judgment is essentially a yes or a no, a guilty or not guilty. That's a judgment. So it places kind of this finality on an experience. Either, you know, this is a wrong feeling that I have, or I'm a bad person, or they're a bad person, whatever it is, judgment places this finality on it. Curiosity is more like hope, which is, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't have an answer. Am I willing to risk my fear or risk it not turning out the way I want it to in order to have this hope, in order to have this curiosity? And I think that's kind of cool, right? Because we know that Ted takes this curiosity approach to everything. And then in that final, of course. that final episode, there's this moment where hope is almost seeming like it's going to actually turn out really well. And then obviously it doesn't turn out the way we want it to. I don't know. My thought was just kind of like the cool kind of parallel between hope and curiosity. 
Yeah, and and yeah, so coming back to the the hope that kills you concept, I've had people ask me in session, you know, like should I hope for the best and just sort of be optimistic and and want good things to happen, but then be disappointed when they don't, or should I be you know, just sort of like a nihilist or pessimistic and just mm-hmm. like everything is terrible. The worst thing is going to happen, but then maybe be surprised when it ends up not being that worst thing. Mm-hmm. And when presented with that uh, dichotomy, I, my answer is that always that those can't be the only options. <laughs> yeah. There has to be something else. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there yeah. is. Yeah. For me, I feel like those two options are trying to control it by assuming an answer right? Placing a judgment. This is going to turn out badly. This is going to turn out well. And I think the curiosity approach is actually more like, I don't know. And we were talking about discomfort earlier. Humans do not like not knowing. And so Mm -hmm. we'd rather take an approach, right? You know what? This is going to turn out well, and I'll just deal with the disappointment when and if it comes, or this is going to turn out badly, and I'll be happily surprised if I'm wrong. What if you don't place a judgment on it? What if you just kind of recognize that it's uncomfortable not to know and you don't have control over it? So let's be a little uncomfortable and you can hope that it turns out well or you can assume it's not going to, but ultimately, what do you want to do in this moment? And I think that's what it boils down to is maybe having a little bit of willingness to be uncomfortable. Yeah, and within that, that willingness, right, is the sort of opportunity for discovery. And I think Ted, something that Ted Lasso is, is nothing if not uh, excited about possibility, right? Mm-hmm. That he wants to see if he can change the crowd's minds about him being a wanker. <laughs> he wants to see if uh, Jamie will make the extra pass. Like he's uh-huh. excited for the possibility of the outcome. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, when I'm when I'm working with people who I think understandably in many cases, like don't have that excitement for the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, it's being able to get to that neutral place of we'll see. And when we see what happens next, when we get more information, being able to trust that we'll be able to handle that next thing. You know, in so many cases, the people that show up to therapy are already resilient people. They've already been through so much mm-hmm. that, you know, I always try to reflect that back. Like you've already been through things to get to this point. Like you are a resilient person. Yeah. You've survived every day of your life. Exactly right. And being able to kind of to use that to, to, you know, yes, it's scary to not know everything that's going to happen next, but being able to rely on what you've done to get to this point today mm-hmm. and and kind of come back to that in that moment of not knowing and say like, well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if we're going to win this game or lose this game. I don't know if how my job's going to go, how this date's going to go. Mm-hmm. But when I find out, I trust that I will be able to deal with that too. Yeah. That for me is the the sort of neutral curiosity. Not necessarily that you have to force excitement about it, but just that you can see it for an opportunity. Absolutely. And I think that falls within what by now everybody knows is, is my approach to therapy, which is figuring out what is in your control and what's not. And what you're speaking to is... Mm -hmm kind of confidence, confidence in I know what I can control and I know that I can make those controllable moments, those controllable choices meaningful to me. So the world may go up in flames and I'm not going to like it. However, I know that in that moment I can choose to 
sit and be burned. I can grab some water or I can run. And all of those can be my choice and recognizing like I may not have control over the fire, but I do have control over how I interact with it and act in spite of it, which I think is very much Ted's kind of approach, but almost I think sometimes to a, an avoidant extent. Like I think he's so like, well, things will turn out how they turn out in moments where actually maybe he does need to have a talk with his wife or maybe he does need to face the fact that just because he can't control it doesn't mean it doesn't affect him um, and things like that. Yeah. And I think in, in absence of us being able to figure out kind of how we feel about things and the extent to which things are unknown, you know, in comes our sort of social support, right? In comes the other people around us in our lives, um, whether it's the diamond dogs, which I love. Uh-huh. As so a, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of give a lot of like what feels like um, uh, not necessarily Dr. Phil, but just sort of like that sort of like hokey relationship analysis type mm-hmm. advice. But it it works in the sense that the support is something that helps people move through the, uh, you know, the anger or the resistance or in yeah. Roy's case, the sort of how he feels about uh, Keely's relationship with yeah. Jamie. What I really like about that group in that moment is women have been doing that for years. <laughs> like, oh, you know, yeah, of course, so like of course. <laughs> sitting down and being like, okay, you know, oh, I'm in a fight with my boyfriend. Okay. Tell us everything that happened. Let's see what, like what we think about it. Let's see what, like how we would react and things like that. And what I really loved about that group of, is it's a group of men right within this show that speaks to masculinity a lot that are kind of shedding this facade of masculinity for being really supportive and emotional and vulnerable and kind to each other without losing their manliness at any point. Like at no point are you like, oh, how embarrassing for them. It's wow, how connected and loving is this group of men supporting each other this way. And that's why I love the Diamond Dogs is because it's just a beautiful relationship between men in an intimate way that you don't often get to see ever, like in life or in media. But I think the world is moving in a direction that's reminding men that that's okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, so as we kind of wrap up, I think it's interesting from a big picture perspective. Um, I sent you this article mm-hmm. about Ted Lasso and about uh, in many ways to sort of television and comedy specifically mm-hmm. and how it feels like the sort of tone and the way that some of these stories are told has changed, you know, over yeah. the past, let's say 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this article references things like the Sopranos, um, the office, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of anti-heroes, right? A lot mm-hmm. of, uh, cringy comedy. Mm-hmm. And there were still moments of humanity within some of that cringe, but, um, especially I'm thinking like early office where yeah. like Michael Scott was obviously Unbearable. racist, even uh, if yeah. it wasn't intentional, <laughs> there were some problems there. And in that, in those past 20 years, we've gotten to this sort of more humble, sincere. Now we have Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I talked about the show uh, Shit's Creek, yep. which itself transitions from this sort of, you know, version of rich people who we kind of 
at least me watching the show, like I hated. <laughs> and then over time, it comes this very becomes this very genuine, sensitive, warm uh, mm-hmm. version of this family, this group of people, and mm-hmm. the sort of comedy that they're able to. Yeah. you know, experience while also dealing with very real life issues. Yeah. Without them changing that much, which I think is what was exactly. so beautiful about Schitt's mm-hmm. Creek is that what you just described does happen without the characters changing, you know, like, I mean, obviously right. they change, but right. without like the core of the characters changing. And that's what I think is so beautiful about that show. And, you know, there's also shows that are gaining popularity around now, like, queer eye and um mm-hmm. i think people i haven't seen it but like apparently like the great british baking show is just like a bunch of people just like so sweet and supportive of each other and it's not i don't think it's coincidental like over the past few years the world has gotten to i think you know with the internet has gotten to a place of like a lot of anger and aggression Mm -hmm. and you know i even think like the true crime wave that happened about three or so years ago got people into this headspace where all the time there was politics and fighting for social justice and watching true crime and hearing about murder and hearing about all these like heavy things that are very real human experiences. And I think, you know, on top of that, a lot of our TV shows and movies were um, not only documentaries about true crime, but also like these war movies and these kidnap movies and taken and like all things like that. And I think our little human hearts are like, oh my gosh, like a character who's just kind and sweet um, feels like a vacation from how hard the world can be sometimes. And I think that's why Ted Lasso and Schitt's Creek and Queer Eye and Great British Baking Show do so well is because it's just people being beautifully human. It's the it's the sweet side of humanity rather than the dark side of humanity. Yeah, that's sort of harsh ironic uh, like but like like intensely ironic. <laughs> yeah. You know, humor and look, and obviously those some of those things still hold up. I've I've certainly rewatched The Office, you know, dozens of times. But there is something that's very unique about Ted Lasso and maybe where some of these other shows are headed, where, you know, we can have a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of softness, not mm-hmm. in a bad way, but just sort of like this this is uh human and it can still be funny and it can mm-hmm. still be real and deal with you know, the, all the sorts of issues that we're dealing with in the real world, but in a way that uh, like like through a lens that's a little bit more palatable maybe mm-hmm. than um, what we're being forced to deal with in the real world. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you, you mentioned that moment of the uh, dart competition. And I think that's a moment of this softness and kind of conflict being really kind and palatable and kind of showing us like, wait, there can be goodness without it having to mean not standing up for our beliefs or giving in to somebody else. And I think that's a story that we as humans, I think, are looking for and want is that I can be strong and I can stand for something without having to let go of sweetness or kindness or compassion. 
Indeed. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, there are some other great uh, shows out now that I think are good, are good examples of this. Have you seen, um, it's another, actually another Apple TV show, um, Central Park. I watched an episode of it, but no, I haven't seen, I haven't watched it fully. Yeah. So it's a, and, and maybe I'll recommend it as for something else for us to cover in the future, because it's, you know, it's a cartoon very in the realm of, you know, uh, animated sort of like Bob's Burgers uh-huh. kind of style. And but all of its um, emotion comes from this very sort of sensitive, vulnerable, very beautiful place. And it's just like, oh, man, this is so nice. Mm-hmm. This is nice. It's nice yeah. to just kind of have this. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. 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 So so here's here's to lots more of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and rumor has it that Ted Lasso season two will delve a little bit even more deeper into some mental health things. Um, so I'm personally very much looking forward to that. And maybe we'll cover Ted Lasso uh, season two as well. I think we should, because I know that I am okay. going to want to watch. I'm going to want to watch it with my before my subscription runs out. <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, then to our audience, we we hope you get to make good use of your subscriptions as well. And before we wrap up, Haley, let's do our let's do some reviews. Yeah. I will have you review Ted Lasso on a scale of one to five goldfish. Goldfish <laughs> famously actually, I don't know if this is actually accurate, if they actually have Ted's second That's memory. What people but say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ted Lasso uses it as a way to kind of motivate his players. Mm-hmm. So out of out of five goldfish, how would you rank Ted Lasso, let's say, on a scale of just pure entertainment? Ten seconds. Ten seconds of goldfish memory. <laughs> um, I would say five. <laughs> I They're short episodes, and they all pack a punch without it being too much or too little. And that kind of escapism piece that we just kind of finished talking about, I think that makes it just so heartwarming and easy to watch and just enjoyable i think <laughs> i i like it it deserved all the awards it won is what all i have to say about that <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely so what about you one to five passing the ball like passes to teammates rather than mm. shooting to score how well do you think it represents mental health in general yeah, I think it does a really good job, and I'm excited for uh, season two when I hear there's going to be a sports psychologist or therapist mm-hmm. role showing up for the team. And I guess there are, there are just like these little cracks, these little pieces here and there, and maybe it's just wishing that we got more of the story between Ted Lasso and his wife or, mm-hmm. or sort of more of the story between Rebecca and her ex-husband, Yeah, where it feels like some of the, the things that we see... Um, sort of don't paint a full enough picture and we're only mm-hmm. getting a piece of the pie that that leaves some what feels like important things out yeah so it's like it's but it's you know that's a nitpicking it feels like so i'm still giving this like a 4.8 mm-hmm. unselfish passes because i really like it you know i thought the portrayal of a, of a panic attack was really well done mm-hmm. super normalized which is important you know for yeah. all of the conversations that we have on the show you know, and, and even normalize things like, you know, divorce and, and competition within the realm of mm-hmm. how it affects um, sort of people's psyche. So I, mm-hmm. I appreciate all of that. And I can't wait to see what they do with it next. I agree. So we are going to take a break for a bit, you and I, um, for the month of August. 
And then we're going to come back in the fall with In Treatment and an in-depth four-week look at the show In Treatment. Yes, very much looking forward to that. If you're interested in, you know, some very gritty portrayals of therapy and what actual uh, therapists think about it, we're going to dive in deep. Um, so follow us um, at Pop Psych 101, P-O-P-P-S-Y-C-H 101 on Twitter and Instagram. And other than that, thanks for listening. Go be a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs>